You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Starting a brand new series today called Fear Not. And I'm going to go ahead and dive right into the message. The, the title of the message is simply this. It's the peace of God. As a pastor, I get a chance to interact with people every day, every week, and get involved in a lot of situations. Sometimes the situations that I get a chance to participate in or to navigate through can be very complex, very challenging, very difficult. And if there's one thing that my hope and prayer for you would be is that you would understand how deeply God wants you to experience peace. He actually longs for you to have peace. And if there's one thing that I know about the enemy, it's the enemy wants to rob you of the peace that God wants you to have. The enemy's a thief. And in the world that we live in currently, I see a whole lot of people navigating without peace. And it's not a small deal to God. I think it's actually a very significant deal. And so this series, The Fear of God, is how do we wrap our minds around what God wants for us and yet what we tend to experience on an everyday level? Because I do believe that God wants significant things for you. He does want you to experience peace. That peace that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, it's not that everything is okay because sometimes things can be very challenging. It's that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, it's that somewhere deep in your heart and in your mind, you understand to the core of who you are that God is good and that regardless of what you may experience or see in front of you, that God understands what you're going through and is able to carry you through it. And that piece is significant. It's significant to you. It's significant to me. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. How do we have this peace? How do we navigate? The Bible repeatedly tells us, fear not, fear not, fear not. So how do we apply this into our life? Well, if you have your Bibles in a little while, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles. We're going straight old school, Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to be there in a little bit, a little bit, and Before we do, let's just all get in the same boat. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I'm so thankful that you're here. Let's talk about something that all of us agree with, whether we're a believer or not a believer, okay? We all in this room care about several things. We just do. I don't know. We wouldn't. Um, Here's the first thing. All of us in this room, we care about our health and the health of those we love. This is a significant issue for all of us in this room. We want to know, how are we doing? How are we doing health-wise? This is a big deal. And those around us who we love, it's a big deal. And so this is something I think we all, we all care about this. Here's another thing that we all care about. We all care about our finances. We care about what money we have coming in, how we're gonna pay our bills, what money we're able to save. If the car breaks down and we need to fix it, how we're gonna fix it, we care about our finances. Our, our finances are important to all of us. Of course it is because you need the money to be able to survive and to be able to live and to be able to get clothes and food. That Boston cream donut is not free. You have to pay for that. I know that's incredible, but you do. And so we care about our finances. We care about our future. Every single one of us thinks about processes, what may or may not be coming down the pipe and how we make it through 2024 and the decisions that we've made and the things that may or may not happen. And so we care about our future. Here's something else that I think all of us can agree on is that we care about the relationships that we have. We care about the relationships that we have and, and, and we care about the relationships that those that we love have. And so these are things that all impact our minds and how we think. 
And we can just pause for a second and acknowledge for a moment that the world we live in is broken. It's not easy. There are challenges left and right. And so when something impacts our health, our finances, or those that we love, then it can allow our minds to begin to go into overdrive. And what begins to happen is this, is we begin to experience worry. We begin to experience anxiety. It impacts our peace, that we can't have it, and we begin to wonder what's going to go wrong, what's gonna happen next. All these different things begin to go wrong when the things that we care about feel like they're going sideways or challenging or difficult. And so we worry and we have anxiety. So, so let, me, let me just talk about worry and anxiety for a second. Here's a simple thought, ready? We tend to experience worry in our minds. We tend to experience anxiety in our bodies. So there's a difference between concern and worry. Concern is like, hey, I saw the, the, the tire on my wife's car begin to dip a little bit. It seems like it's lacking some air. Concern is like, I can do something about that. I'm gonna take my wife's car. I'm gonna go fill it up with air so that she's gonna be fine. That's concern. Concern typically moves you into action. Worry is something that actually you have no control over. Man, if a hurricane's gonna come through here, what's gonna happen to the house? If a massive storm comes through here, what's gonna happen to our house? Um, my parents' house has had an issue that when it rains, this is true, when it rains really hard, my parents' house, they live right next to us, if it downpours like crazy, my parents' house has been flooding slightly in the living room area. So every time I look at the weather forecast and I see that there's a really heavy rain in the area, now, now we're doing things to be able to fix that. We dug a, a French drain and a trench, but a couple of weeks ago when we had another storm and it poured down crazy, if you guys remember it, my parents' house flooded. So every time now that I see substantial rain in the area, my first question is, how do I get my parents' house to make sure that it's okay? So concern, all of us in this room, is something that moves us into action, but worry is something that's out of our control. And you can't control the weather. And so worry is issues that are out of control. And so what happens is in our minds, that's where worry tends to live, in our thoughts. And we allow worry, it can grow, and then it can come anxiety, and anxiety can manifest itself physically in our bodies. And so just a little bit. Now let me give you some stats. I'm not typically a huge stats person, but I want you to see what a big deal this is in the world that we live in. Ready? In 2019 which by the way was a couple of years ago now. Is that crazy? Anyway, in 2019, two out of three Americans said they were anxious or extremely anxious. Think about that. Two out of three Americans said they were anxious or extremely. And, and what I see as a pastor is this not just adults. I actually see anxiety and worry being something that our kids wrestle with, our students and RSM, and then even our kids and our, our kids. This is a thing that is, that is massive in our world today. Let me give you a stat, ready? 91% of high schoolers and college students report consistent and significant levels of anxiety associated with stress. 91%? That means that 9%. I mean, it's just, it's a massive number. How we think, how our heart is, and where we are, it's substantial. Here's another stat real quick. About 60% of adults in the, United in, in the United States struggle with worry and stress daily. So we come together and we worship God, and we believe that God sits on a throne, and yet we carry with us the anxiety and the worry in our minds and in our hearts. And how do we connect these two things? 
Well, I'll say this. I have had several accidents in my life that have caused me, well, I've had several stitches. I've told the stories before. I'm not gonna tell the stories today, but I've had to have stitches in my face right here because I fell one time face down. We were camping and I fell and there was a bush and it jetted up and I fell on a, um, the bush had a, a, a stitch a jetting out of the ground and I fell and it went almost right through my whole cheek. It was awesome. It was just incredible. So I had to get stitches here in my face. I got into a moped accident. Yes, that's a true story. A moped accident. And I got stitches on my back leg right here. Last year, I was 42 years old. I'm 43 now. Last year being 42 years old, I had never in my life once ever had an allergic reaction to anything. And at the age of 42, out of nowhere, I started having allergic reactions. I'm driving back from Charleston, which is a three-hour drive, depending on what traffic's like. And as I start my drive, I feel my face begin to puff up. Now, I will say this. I do have a big head. I'm not talking about pride. I'm talking like I actually physically have a big head. And so my wife was praying for our kids to have her head, not my head. I don't even know how my neck does it sometimes. It's like this. Anyway. Now, some of you who have big heads, you understand what I'm saying? I just, it's it's like, okay, anyway. So, (laughs) I have a big head. And I'm driving back from Charleston at the beginning of my drive, and I feel my face begin to puff up. I'll show you just, and and so I I FaceTime my wife, because I look, I'm like, I think my face is getting bigger. So I'll show you, here's the first picture. My wife immediately is like, pull over, and take some Benadryl, do something. And I'm like, well, I don't wanna take Benadryl and drive. I don't wanna be stuck and do, in my, here's my guy mind. If I take Benadryl, I'm gonna get sleepy, I can't drive, I wanna get this drive over with. By the way, I'm driving back on a Saturday, which means I had to preach on a Sunday. So in my guy mind, I'm like, ah, I'll be fine. It can't be that bad. I, my wife did not like that plan, but in my stubborn, bullheadedness man mind, I'm like, I can make it work. So I, I do, I make it work. I get back to the house, I'll show you the next picture. When I get back to the house, my face looks like this. And then my wife finally looks at me and says, go to the emergency room for the love of all that is holy. And so I'm like, fine, okay, I'll go to the emergency room. And if you've ever been to the emergency room, there's like, there's two levels to the emergency room. There's the emergency room that you get there and you sit there for a long time before they bring you in. Then there's the emergency room. When you show up, they're like, okay, this is really a problem. We're gonna take you back immediately. And the take you back immediately is a, like, you just don't know. So what happens? I go to the emergency room and I was in the category of, oh yes, we see there's an issue. Immediately escorted me back. So I'll show you, this is me laying in the emergency room now. That's after a shot of epinephrine. I'm like, woo! I, now, now here, here's, here's my point when I had my stitches on my leg, when I had my stitches on my face, when my face began to swell up, do you know what I did? I went to the, I went to, I got treatment. Now let me dispel some myths, I think, for us in the Christian world. Myth number one is this, is that Christians shouldn't struggle with their mental health. Let me give give you another myth, ready? The, The other myth is that God does not care about what you wrestle with in your mind. So, so I, wanna, I wanna tell you something. If you have a physical reaction to something, you go to the hospital and you get treatment for what's happening physically. 
And if that would happen to you physically, what would think that the things that you wrestle with in your mind and in your heart wouldn't also need some level of care? Because I'd be willing to bet that some of the greatest pain in your life is not physical pain, is it? Some of the greatest pain you've ever experienced happened right here and it happened right here. So let me, I want, let, me, let me say it this way, ready? Getting help is not a sign of weakness. Getting help is a sign of wisdom. And I, I will stand before all of you and tell you this. I was sexually abused when I was a kid. And one of the best things that happened to me was I got counseling. I have experienced a tremendous amount of pain in life. And one of the very best things that ever happened to me was getting counseling. And, 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 and I try, how do I find good Christian counseling? And that makes a huge difference. But this Christian counseling I've been able to surround myself with, if I, when I've been able to find it and experience it, it's not a sign of weakness. It, it's allowing someone to actually begin to heal the inner workings of my thoughts and in my heart. So physically, if you're gonna get help, why would we think that somewhere that God doesn't care about what's in our minds and in our hearts? So I wanna dispel the myth and tell you right now that the deep levels of worry and the deep levels of anxiety, like you need to understand that God is not angry with you because you have those. God actually wants to heal you. So having set that groundwork, what I wanna do is I wanna take you to a passage of scripture. Now, you know and have read this passage of scripture. It's not 2 Chronicles 20. We're gonna be there in a moment. It's a well-known Bible verse that you've heard over and over again. And can I, if I was to encourage you to memorize almost any passage of scripture, it would be this one. It's Philippians chapter four. I wanna take you there and I want you to see what this passage of scripture says. So here we go. Philippians four, six through eight, Paul writing and he says this, and I'm reading from the NIV. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, have, we're, we are blessed with phenomenal musicians and worship leaders here at Renovation Church. And can I tell you that I am not one of them. I can't sing. I like to sing. I can't sing. I actually took guitar lessons. I'm horrible at playing guitar. I took piano lessons. I'm horrible at it. I, anything that with rhythm, I just can't do it. I took drum lessons when I was a kid. I always had visions of myself being on stage and being able to like, and I just don't have it. Now, I could go back here, and I, I've done this illustration before, but we have a phenomenal guitarist in our church. His name is John McConnell. And he's just back there, and he just, he, he's phenomenal. I could take John's same guitar that he uses every time that we lead worship, and I could play it, and can I tell you something? Even though it's the same guitar, I cannot produce the same sound. I can't do the same sound, because I don't have the gifts that John McConnell has. The reason I bring this up is, Philippians says this, and the peace of God that passes understanding. And it's such an interesting phrase. It, it, in other words, it doesn't make sense, right? Well, that's part of that. But it's not just that it doesn't make sense, it's that you can't replicate God's peace. The reason it passes our understanding is because no matter what we try and do with all of our effort, we can't do and produce the same peace that only God can. And so the reason why God's peace surpasses understanding is because we can't make the peace that God offers us. And so in the same way that I could play the guitar that John McConnell plays, I can't produce the same sound. I can't produce, we can't produce the peace of God that he wants us to have. And so it talks very specifically about this. Now let's keep reading though, verse eight. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let me say this. Anxiety is not a sin. Can we just stop there? Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is a warning sign to tell you, hey, check and make sure that everything's okay. Anxiety is not a sin. It's, it, it's the dashboard in your car when it tells you, hey, something, there's an issue here. I remember this actually a couple of weeks ago. I was driving through Atlanta. I was going somewhere. And by the way, whenever you drive through Atlanta, you need to be prayed up. <laughs> you have to spend time in God's presence. You have to make sure that he is with you because whenever you, like you can go, like before and after Atlanta is great, but the moment you drive in Atlanta, the spirit of God has to be with you because it's Atlanta. Because there's one of two things. Either the speed limit is 45 and everyone's going 110 or everyone's going zero miles an hour. It's, it's, too, it's just two extremes. And so I'm getting into Atlanta, so I'm in North Atlanta and I have the journey in front of me and it's just me in the car and I notice as I'm passing a guy that his back tire seems to be low. And I'm like, that's, that's, it seems like it's dangerously low. So I try and roll my window down and I try and say, hey, your, your tire. He doesn't pay attention. He's just like 10 and two. He's just the happiest little camper I've ever seen. He's in the, he, he, and he's just in the slow lane and I'm like, he doesn't seem worried about it. Actually, excuse me, <clears throat> he was merging over. And so I'm like, I tried to get his attention. He didn't do it. But I keep driving and I'm looking in my rear view mirror because I'm like, there's an issue here. There's an issue here. It's substantial. And not long after I pass him, his tire that was low flops off of his car and shoots across eight lanes of traffic. And I'm like, first of all, thank God it didn't hit another car. And I, I look at the guy. I'm not that far ahead, but I'm ahead. I look at the guy and he's still two hands, 10 to two. I'm like, only Atlanta. Like, what is happening? Sparks are flying off the back. Now, I know for a fact there's got to be a sensor somewhere. And it's saying, for the love of all that's holy, pull over. Like, there's got anxiety. All of us have had it at moments in life. Worry, all of us have had it. It's not a sin. You know what it is? It's a signal. There's something, there's something that's not there. So what do you have to do is you have to stop for a moment. And this is where Philippians 4 becomes so significant. It says, be anxious for nothing is how I memorized it. Or do not be anxious about anything. Now, does that mean that there's not things to be anxious about? Of course there is. We all care about our future, our finances, our health. These are things that we worry about. Life is not easy. In fact, life can be very, very hard. And when things go sideways, there's a lot of things that we can be afraid about. Are there things that cause fear? Absolutely, there are things that cause fear. And so this isn't a pretend that everything is okay message. That's not what this is. This is, this is more than that. This is that life can often give you way more than you possibly could imagine and when you're in the middle of that, how do you process that information and what do you do? Because God may want you to actually experience peace. So let me just start by saying this. Peace is not the absence of problems or pain. I just, I, I, I think sometimes we've come to the place where we only feel like we can rest when everything is settled and okay. That's those of us who are control freaks. Do you know why we're control freaks? Because we want everything to be okay. In my house, I will, I've made a declaration the thermostats are controlled by me. 
My wife has actually never worried about thermostats. It's never been an issue for her. But somehow my kids are getting older and they've gotten brave. I've watched a couple of them get in there and turn the thermostat a couple of times and I'm like, what is happening here? How dare you? I curate our thermostats to make sure that everyone's taken care of. This is, we have three HVAC units in our house and two of them interact with each other and everything is working just harmoniously until you jack up the temperature crazily. Plus, I am paying the bills. <laughs> so I get to set the thermostat. Those of us who are control freaks, we're like that because what we try and do is we try and mitigate the problems and pain in our life. And so somehow we begin to wrap our minds around the idea that Man, peace can only come when there's no problems or pain. And yet when you read scripture over and over again, what you see is problems and you see pain and you see problems and you see pain. So peace is not the absence of problems of pain. Peace is knowing that God is with us. That's what peace is. In fact, God speaks over and over again, in the fire I can be with you, in the flood I can be with you, in the cancer diagnosis I can be with you, when your finances get shot out of nowhere I can be with you. You name it, I can be with you. He is known as God with us. And so how we think about these things is significant. That's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing or do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because regardless of what you face, God will not leave you or abandon you. In fact, scripture says that if God starts something good in your life, he, not you, is faithful and just to finish it. So peace is not the absence of problems or pain. That's not what peace is. So if you try and equate peace with, the, with everything being okay, it's not what it is. Peace is actually God being with us. So let me just say it this way. How, how do we, when we experience anxiety, and I said it's a light, it's a warning sign, what is it a warning sign to do? Very simple thought, ready? What are we supposed to do? How do we reframe the thoughts in our minds? Well, if something is big enough to worry about, it is big enough to pray about. Now what I wanna do is actually now, hopefully you're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're gonna see an incredible story that happened to King Jehoshaphat. And what I want, my prayer for you, is that you would see that God actually wants you to be able to fight back to realize that he is with you and that good things can happen. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'm gonna be reading in verse one, God's word says this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites uh, with some Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Can, can you just see that? There's three armies attacking. Sometimes in life, it's not just one thing that comes at you, it's several things that come at you. Multiple armies attacking. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hezazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, this is his prayer. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Now, isn't that an incredible thing? By the way, one of the best ways to go in prayer is to start by acknowledging how awesome God is. Because if you can start by acknowledging how awesome God is, it'll change the way you pray. And here's another thing about worry. If you allow worry to dominate your mind, it'll impact how you view God. You will make worry be bigger than who God is. 
So Jehoshaphat, how does he start off? By first acknowledging how awesome God is. Oh God. And by the way, Philippians, remember the passage we just read? It says this, whatever's good, whatever's noble, think on these things. Sometimes everything in life is so bad, you wonder, well, is there anything good I can think on? You can always think on God. So Jehoshaphat goes and acknowledges how awesome God is. Verse seven, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary in your name, saying if calamity comes on us, whether sword or judgment or plague or famine, will we stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you will not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and they did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, the Levite and descendant of Asaph. As he stood at the assembly, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them and they, they'll be climbing in the, uh, the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jero. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And if you keep reading the story, you know it happens exactly as it was told to them. The Lord destroyed the army they ended up collecting all the spoils. But there's unbelievable principles here that we can apply into our life. The same God that was there is the same God that's here. We may not be Jehoshaphat, we may not be Israel, we may not be in Judah, we may not be in Jerusalem, but the same God that was in that story is the same God that is in your life. He's the same God that cares about your family. He is the same, he doesn't change, and he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So there are principles that we can apply to very quick things, ready, of how we can navigate and wrestle through the anxiety and worry in our own life so that we can have the peace that God wants us to have. How do we fight back? Two things, very simply. The first is this, is we need to learn how to pause. Now here's what happens, ready? When things come out of nowhere, what do we do? We tend to focus on where everything's gonna go wrong. I'm a natural pessimist. This is my default setting in the life of Jeremy. I am excellent at determining all the ways that things are gonna go wrong. And what scripture teaches me, what it tells me is this, is learn to pause for a moment. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray, pray about. And I've gotten to see my mom and my wife and other people of great faith declare God's goodness regardless of what they see. And it's been incredible for me to apply this into my life. So here's what I've learned in my own life, ready? If my mind only focuses on where things are gonna go wrong, it's not gonna ever be a good deal and I will never have peace. But if I can retrain the way I think about something and I can pause for a moment and do exactly what Jehoshaphat did in the story where the armies are attacking, what does he do? He goes to God in prayer, he pauses. And it takes my attention away from the problems and pain for a moment and it puts it on God. This is not a small deal. And let, me, let, me, let me share with you a quote. This is from a, a lady here. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf. 
and she studies this stuff and she gave this quote. I want you to see, it's actually fascinating. Ready? Here's where you have science and scripture meeting together. She says this, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. So you have prayer, it's able to reframe how you think about something, and, what, and, and by the way, Dr. Caroline Leaf, let me tell you who she is, ready? She's a communication pathologist and a, co- a cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and a PhD in communication pathology. That just stresses me out, even thinking about that stuff, I'll be honest with you. She has a BSc in, in logop- uh, logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. So basically what she does is she studies the brain and how information travels in our brain. And what she says is this, is that our brain can be elastic and you can train your brain to think on the right things. And then she says, 12 minutes of focused prayer can actually impact your brain in such a way that it shows up on a brain scan. Here's what I want you to know. God says, pray. God says, pray. God says, pray. Be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. Well, what happens when you pray about everything is it changes the chemistry in your brain. Prayer doesn't just move the heart of God, it changes the way you think about things. And guess what? The enemy wants to steal peace from you and the way he does it is to take, say, say to you, your prayers aren't worth anything. Can I tell you something? It's not the greatness of your prayers that moves God, it's the greatness of God that changes things. This is what the enemy steals. He says, well, God doesn't want to hear your prayers because this, 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 and this. Can I tell you? Listen, Jesus said, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed, then you would say to this mountain, move, and it would move. He didn't say if you had the faith as big of a mountain. He said, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed. Why? Because the power to change things doesn't come from us. It comes from him. And so prayer changes things because God changes things. He makes a way in the desert. He changes lives. He restores marriages. But what happens is the enemy says, your prayers don't matter much. It's not as good as someone else. I'm here to erase something from you. It is not the greatness of your prayers. It is the greatness of God. And his name is above all names. We don't pray in our name. We don't pray in the name of Jeremy. I'd be miserable. Nothing would get accomplished. I have a hard time tying my shoes sometimes. Like, that would be awful. And somehow we think our prayers are tied to how good we are. Can I tell you something? We are all sinners. All of us who believe in a great God. And so what the enemy does is he steals our prayers because then we're not gonna do what King Jehoshaphat did, which is, listen, did you read it? He was terrified. You and I can be terrified. But what we need to learn to do is to pause. Sometimes things in life happen that we have no control over. When I was, year was 1998. I was a junior, we had just finished my junior year of high school when I was going into my senior year and we took a mission trip to the country of Peru and South America. And while we're in Peru, we're in a little town called Cajamarca, which is in northern Peru. And one of the kids on our trip got sick. And there's like sick, and then there's like sick sick. He got sick sick. And we're in the middle of a mountain town in Peru. There's not a lot of hospitals nearby. There is zero Prisma, zero Bonsecours Wellness Center, or not Wellness Center, I just, anyway, Bonsecours. There's nothing. We're in the middle of a mountain town and he, is, he has a, a, a stupid high fever. We can't get medicine. And in the middle of the night, we're like, we've got to do something for him. And so we find this like, it's kind of like, I don't say a hospital with a word, but like a doctor's office and we bang on the door, and we finally get someone to answer. The doctor comes to where we are, and my buddy, his name was Gabe. I was there because I could translate. I speak Spanish fluently. 
So like, Jeremy, be a translator for him. And so we go there and we talk to the doctor and I'm in the room with him all night long while he's sick. And he is throwing up and he has diarrhea and he's losing liquids and his fever's insanely high. And I remember being in the room and the doctor's like, I don't know if he's gonna make it. We are in the middle of nowhere. And, I, and I'm translating. And do you know how, and those of us, those of us who are problem solvers, do you know how miserable it is to not be able to solve a problem when you see someone suffering right in front of you? So some of us, we face situations, well, what do you do? Don't just stand there, do something. How do we think, do something. And here's what the Bible says. If you wanna do something, then learn to stand there. Learn to pause. So I start, we start praying over Gabe, praying over Gabe. And I remember saying, the doctor's like, we need to get him to a place where he can get the treatment. We need to get him to the States, but he's not good enough to travel. So you know what we began praying? We began praying, God, somehow, some way, open up the door, God, for him to be able to get on a plane and fly back to the States. And through the craziest set of circumstances, and I've run out of time, I can't explain it, God opened up the door for a private plane to come to the city of Cajamarca to put Gabe on it, to fly him back to the U.S. where he got treatment, where he ended up living. And for the last multiple years of life, he's been leading worship at a church in Northern Virginia because God opened the door for a plane to come to get him out of there. I remember being there. God, you can do something. You can do something. You can do something. Learn to pause. It's so significant. Man, sorry. There's so much more I want to say with that. Here's the next thing, and then we're done. Not only do we need to learn to pause to just acknowledge how good God is, what Jehoshaphat did, but we need to be determined to praise. You can, have you ever met someone who had old school faith? Like a grandmother who just loved God? Or, or, or your grandfather? Or, I mean, you just have met someone who's like old school, old school in their faith? I got a chance, I was invited to speak at a church in Nicaragua, this is years ago. And I show up to church to preach and I'm meeting the people before service starts. And I remember this one guy, I went to go shake his hand and he's like, I'm, I don't wanna shake your hand. And I'm like, I'm sorry if I offended you. I don't know what's going on. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, he goes my wrist is broken. And he took his hand out and his wrist was broken. And, he, and you could just see it like the hand dangling and it was gross. I'm like, I'm not a doctor person. I like see that stuff. I'm like, ah. Oh. And he goes, yeah, it's been broken for a while. I don't have the money to fix it. And so I just looking at him and the hand's just dangling. It was broken bad. And I'm like, well, man, well, should you be in church? He goes, yeah. I came to worship my God. Because even though I may not have the money to fix it, I know my God's able to do all things and I'm gonna trust him. And so literally as worship is going and I'm gonna be getting up to preach and I'm watching, I see him worshiping and he's lifting the one good hand and the one hand is like dangling like this. And I can't tell you how that marked me. And what Israel does is they stand before the presence of God and they say, you know what? We're gonna praise his name. We're gonna stand firm in who God is. And then we're gonna trust that God is able to defeat the things that are coming our way. I watched him do that. By the way, later we were able to get him help. He was able to get his, his wrist fixed and he was fine and healed. And I visited that church later on and he was just like, yeah, God's able to heal all things. But it didn't change the way that he worshiped God. I thought about that. One hand praising. Do you know what happens when you praise God? You know why we lift our hands? Because when we lift our hands, our attention goes up here. You know what happens? Our brains want to naturally look at the problems and worry about the problems that we can't control. And what God says is, look up here because I sit on a throne that's above your problems. I sit on a throne that's above the things that you wrestle with. So if you can predetermine in your mind, you can reframe how you think. It doesn't mean that there aren't things to be afraid of. It just means that the things that all scare you, God is bigger than. Okay, here it is, God. 
And it's not the greatness of your faith or the greatness of your prayers, it's the greatness of God that changes things. And so what you can do is learn to pause. Okay, God, I'm gonna bring this to you in prayer. I'm gonna bring this to you in prayer. And 12 minutes of prayer a day is gonna change the way you think about things and it moves the heart of God and then you can worship him the whole time and then you're gonna see God come through in ways that only God can. There is so much more I wanna share. We'll have to save it for next week's. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you because you're good. There is no one else who is like you. I know in this room, God, that there is worry and anxiety more than we might imagine. I know that there are people, Lord, who when they allow their minds to be still for just a moment, wonder that to themselves, will everything or anything be okay again? And I pray in your name, Jesus, that through this series we can see what your word teaches us, commands us, tells us, that we might be the men and women who grab a hold of your word and allow our life, our mind and heart to be built around what you say. Because God, you have made a way so that regardless of what we face, we know that you are with us. And peace can be with us regardless of what we see. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your goodness. We love you, Jesus, because you are greater than and the things that we wrestle with. You are simply more. You are awesome. Help us, Lord, to hold on to you and acknowledge that, that you might transform the way we think and how we live. We love you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Church, if you need prayer for anything, we wanna pray with you. God bless you. Have an incredible Sunday. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at the Renovation. Church. Sure.